So this morning we're going to pick back up in Proverbs, uh, chapter 13, I believe. Um, but before we start, just to kind of be open, I was looking for churches online this morning, and it's hard. I'll go and I'll look and they'll say good things, and then it just seems like they're not about the Word of God. Or they are, but it's just not that important. Or they are, but it, it seems like when they're teaching, it's just a, a show or a performance. And it's hard because I just wish sometimes we could just get up and go to a church that was good and healthy. And, you know, the one we were going to wasn't bad, but just wasn't getting fed there. And I just... I think it would be a lot easier sometimes if we would just find a place that we could fit into. And I, I just haven't found that. And I, I was frustrated and I was praying. And, I, and maybe it was me. Maybe it was the Lord. I felt like maybe the Lord said, how do you think I feel? That when His people gather together... Is the Lord even comfortable there? That when we come to worship and pray and fellowship, does the Lord feel at home in whatever we're doing? Or does he show up and go and have a hard time finding a place to sit? Having a hard time being comfortable with what's being taught? Does he feel worshipped and glorified by the songs that are sung by the way that they're sung? Do they come from the heart? I don't know. I think sometimes he doesn't. I mean, if we read the letters to the churches, he tries to find his home. He walks amongst the lampstands, and there's some that he's very comfortable in and others that he wants to spit out. And I just pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be the ones that you'd want to spit out. That, God, we'd be the ones who worship you and not us for better, but we being, God, your people, and we want to, and we want to make you happy in a way. We know you're pleased with us because of the cross, but we want to worship you uh, in spirit and truth, like you said to be worshipped. You said where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And I know that was for judgment in a sense, but God, I know that you're with us. And God, I pray that you'll guide us and pray for the church in the area that they would be about you. And maybe my perceptions are just wrong, but God, I pray that your church, your people would truly worship you, God, this morning. Uh, God, as we do that, God, would you open our hearts to your word and feed us and nourish us in it as only you can, uh, God, because we need that. We need you. God, we don't want to be a place where you come in and flip the tables and say, my father's house is a house of prayer. And so, God, we want this place to be a place where we're not just this living room, really, but our hearts that we would be in a place that worships you, and a place of prayer would be our hearts. And we're constantly praying, like Paul says. It doesn't have to be big and magnanimous, but just always, God, help us. God, show me. God, we love you. God, thank you. Just all throughout the day. We love you. God, text messages of prayer. Even. We trust you for these things. God, speak to us in the Bible, because that's who we want to hear. We don't want to hear me. We don't want to hear some words. We want to hear your voice. And we ask for these things by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 
So I'm in Ecclesiastes, and that's not where we're supposed to be. So let me flip back a few chapters. So Proverbs, Wisdom, Solomon wrote a bunch. Some other guys wrote a bunch. <sighs> Let's hear what the Word has to say to us this morning. It says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke that. You want to be a wise son or daughter? Listen to what your dad tells you. You know, we were watching that movie last night, and the son says, I, you know, he came to the Lord, and he said, I respect your authority, Dad. Right? It wasn't that the dad had to be nice or the dad had to be right, but the son's obedience, the importance of the son being obedient to God, was obeying his father. That that was wisdom for the son. That was the right thing for the son to do, unless his dad asked him to do something wrong. But as, as a child... A child of God, we need to obey him no matter what. Because that's wise. It's good for us. And he heeds his instruction, right? Like, it's hard to go through life and learn things and try and learn them on our own. It's called learning the hard way. <laughs> learning it on your own, doing it yourself and failing and then learning how to do it the right way. It's better to be instructed, and to, especially from someone who loves you like your father. And in this case, your guy's father loves you very much. Not everyone has that, and I think that's why we struggle with obeying God sometimes is that we forget we love him. He loves us, rather. We forget how good he is. We forget that he's got our needs in mind and he's got only the best things in mind for us. It says a man, uh, a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. You know, someone who makes fun, is eh, they, they don't listen to correction. And so they continue on that wrong path. That's not wise. But a man will eat well by the fruit of his mouth but the soul of the transgressor will eat violence. Uh, that man, we need to eat well. By the remember that we talked about last time. I think it was that the things we say can have a big effect on our lives. That if I go into work Monday morning and I start yelling at my boss and yelling at everybody, saying you guys are all dumb, I hate this place. Well, the fruit of that is I'm going to get fired and I'm going to be hungry because I'm not going to have a job. But if I go in and I'm obedient and I do what I need to do and I voice up my concerns in a proper way, well, then I should be okay. I should continue having employment. It's about a lot of the ways. It's not about how we feel, but it's how we express how we feel. Right? God says, be angry and do not sin, Jesus said. That, man, it's, it's the things we say can get us in a lot of trouble. And the things we say can get us in a lot of good. And not that we need to say, flattery or puffed up words to to put us in a right place but just know that like and james says your tongue is like a rudder what does a rudder do on a ship it turns the ship one way or the other and so our tongue can turn our lives from one way to another you having a bad life a bad day well are you complaining or are you praising because complaining can turn a good day bad and praising can turn a bad day Good. The situation may not change, but your heart will change. And James says the tongue is set on fire by the very hell, fires of hell itself. And the, troll of trans, the soul of a transgressor will eat violence. That, I mean, you go against what's right, you go against what's good, you go against the people that are for you, it's going to be bad for you. It says, he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips will have destruction. Again, there's a time to whoop, zip it. There's a time to keep your mouth shut. 
As much as you want to speak out and speak back, there's a time not to. Uh, I was reading Ecclesiastes talking about the power of the king and wait, as hard as it is, sometimes you have to wait for the right time to say something or do something. Uh, otherwise, it's going to destroy you. Uh, so sometimes we need to do that. And a lot of times it's because sometimes it's just our emotions welling up in us and we want to ah, lash out the first thing we feel. But then later on in the day, as the emotion wears off, we're, oh boy, I'm glad I didn't say that. Or worse, oh boy, I wish I didn't say that. You have to go repent or change change what happened. And sometimes you can't take back. You can't put words back in, just like you can't put toothpaste back into a tooth thing, right? Like, Mom, you, you were cleaning the bathroom yesterday. You said you had concrete of toothpaste all over the bottom of the drawer. And that's like our words sometimes. They come out and we can't, they can't get them back in. And sometimes that damage is done too much. And he who opens wide his lips will have destruction. You say everything that comes to mind. You say everything that comes to heart. It's just going to destroy your life. As much as we feel it, we're not always right. As wrong as we feel, it doesn't mean that we're in the right. It says, the soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent will be made fat. It says that the lazy person just wants everything. One of your video games, new car, new dolls, new toys, more money, more time off. But they don't have any of that. And why don't they have any of that? Because they're lazy. Because they don't work for it. The soul of the slugger desires and has nothing. Why? Because, and even then, being lazy just makes you want more because you're ungrateful for what you have, right? But when you work hard for something, you work hard, you get paid, you get your allowance, you get a reward for doing good, you cherish it, you take care of it. And you're satisfied with the little sometimes that you have. You may not have everything, but you know the value of a dollar. You know the value of a hard day's work. And so it means something to you and you're willing Put up with it. And that goes back with the previous verse too. Lazy people complain all the time. A lot of times the loudest complainer, the person who's offended the most is the laziest, is the one who doesn't do the work, who expects someone else to do it for them. But it says the soul of the diligent will be made fat. That The diligent may not be fat. They may not have had too much to eat, but their soul will be made fat because they worked hard, they earned it, and their soul is satisfied because they have what they earned. Because they worked, they did what was right, and they got what was coming to them. You know, like someone, a rich person who's born into wealth, usually they can be bratty, they can be spoiled, they can be all sorts of things, and we all can. But more so there because they don't know the value of what was earned. They haven't taken care of it. They haven't worked a day to get what they have. And sometimes that's like us as Christians because we didn't work a day for our salvation. We did nothing to earn it. Our king, our rich father, bought us everything when he died for us on the cross. And sometimes we take it for granted. We act spoiled. God, why don't I have this in my life? Why don't I have that? Why haven't you answered this prayer? Why isn't this going this way for me? And we've forgotten that our lives are not our own, that they belong to him, and that we're going to heaven. I think sometimes that's why people don't come to faith around us It's because maybe we're a little spoiled. Maybe we sound like little rich kids. There's this saying about like, uh, what is is the church saying? Ash, do you remember that? Kingdoms, 
I'm a king's kid or something. I don't know. There was some, it's fine for children's ministry, but there was like an adult thing going around. I'm like, yeah, I get it, but it's a little like, <laughs> I think we're forgetting the point of the cross at that point. Uh, it says, a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. How to tell if you're righteous? Do you hate when other people lie? I heard in Congress, Congress is the, Alicia, oh, I thought the, the pen cap was off when you're drawing on your jeans. You scared me. <laughs> uh, but Congress is where we elect people. They go to the government for us and try to run the federal government. And one of the Congress people, well, the, well, the person who is in the office of the president <laughs> was speaking, this person yelled out, liar! Because flat out was lying. Or maybe she's righteous, maybe she's not. But a righteous person hates lying. You hate doing it. If a lie or a fib slips out, you go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Forgive me. You know, you embellish something a little bit, make it sound better than it was. I also hate when other people lie. And we live in a day and age when lying is the norm. They'll lie to you and tell you that it's fact. It's not. So if you're, that's a good litmus test if you're righteous or not. But a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. When you see a wicked person, ugh, I can't even stand to listen to a lot of people in Congress or on the news because they're wicked. And it's loathsome. And it's, oh, I can't even listen. Don't even talk to me about him. Because it's, oh, it's, it's, I'd rather go clean a toilet with my toothbrush than listen to this person talk. Because what comes out of their mouth, like Jesus said about the Pharisees, their mouth is like an open tomb. Their breath must be pretty stinky if it was an open tomb, right? But they come to shame. And they, they'll get found out. They'll falter. They'll fail. They'll get turned on when they're not useful anymore. And at the very end, when the Lord comes back, they'll be ashamed. Righteousness keeps him who is upright in the way, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. This is kind of a a chicken and the egg situation because righteousness that means doing the right thing will keep you going in the right way if you want to keep going the right way in life we'll do the right thing stay in the right place with god choose the right answer over sin repent when you do sin choose righteousness will keep you going on the path that leads to life but wickedness overthrows the sinner a sinner loves to do wickedness. Oh, let me go do more. Let me go do more. But it's going to overthrow them. Their life is going to be overwhelmed in the end because sin leads to death. I mean, it's that simple. Sin leads to death. Righteousness leads to life. There is one who makes himself rich yet has nothing. There is one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. You know, there are people that make themselves rich. I can read this two ways. They make themselves rich while they pursue everything in life to have money, but they have nothing. They don't have a family. They don't have friends. They don't have a relationship with God. Their heart is empty. They're sad. They're, they're strung out. And I read something this morning about all, the, you know, all these young people who have been pursuing frivolity, haven't bought things, haven't worked hard, don't have a wife, don't have a husband, don't have kids. Well, what's going to happen to them 30 years from now? They're going to be old, they're going to still be working, and they're not going to have any family. That's kind, of a, that's kind of a nothing life. 
But I think there's also the people out there who make it look like they're rich, who put up, you know, it, sometimes it's kind of funny and it's kind of sad. You can drive through a poor neighborhood and all of a sudden you're going to see a Lexus and a Mercedes and all these other things that, but they're living in an awful house. They don't have anything else or they have all this fancy jewelry, but they live in a dump. Well, it's because they want to look rich. They want to feel rich in the midst of their poverty, but instead of choosing the way out of the poverty, they just want to mask it. And like, I think I've said it before, my, based on another verse, my mom worked at a car dealership in the 90s. There were people who come in who you would think were the most wealthy by the way they were dressed, by the way they acted. And she said, sometimes they couldn't even get a car. They wouldn't have any credit. They wouldn't have any money. And so the people that walked in that you thought wouldn't think another thing of, they come in in sweatpants and a raggy shirt. They come in and plop down cash and buy an expensive brand new car with it. So there's appearances can be deceiving. It says there's one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. And you think about the moms and dads have sacrificed a lot to have kids. You know, they've given up a career. They've given up uh, friends. They've given up money and vacations and wealth in order to pay for the stuff for their kids. And yet they have a wonderful family. They have a full life. Yeah, they don't have all the fancy stuff their friends have, but they are happier. And also, think about certain business owners, right? You know, they've, give, they've given out things and they've sacrificed things that other people would be taken care of. And those who have gone into ministry, those who have given up a life of wealth to turn and follow the Lord, their reward is in heaven. They now have lots of people in heaven because they've shared the gospel. Their reward is piled high if they were poor in this life. You know, in the New Testament, it says that there are many people who have pierced themselves through with sorrows. Like picture stabbing yourself with an arrow or a big knife over and over. And it's stuck in you because you pursued riches. I got this rich, this wealth, but it cost me this relationship. Or it stunted me in this part of my life. Uh, There's something else I was going to mention, but it comes back to mind. I will bring it up. The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. And I just remembered it. Thank you, Lord. You know that in life, and this is kind of general, but I, I've been told and I've heard and I've seen and I've experienced and I've been sometimes, is that there's really kind of two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of people that will use people to get things. They'll pretend to be your friend. They'll be nice to you just to get what they want. And they may not even realize it. There are some that do realize it. And then the other type of person is the type of person who uses things to get people. That they'll be kind. They'll loan you things. They'll share their things with you. Why? Because they want to gain you as a friend. They want to be a friend to you. And that's the kind of people we should be. And we should want to be around are the people that will use things to get people. And we should use things to get people to heaven. We should use, we should loan people things, be kind to people, um, share things, be friendly to other people. Why? That they might experience the love of God and see that we don't care about our stuff more than them. We care about them more than our stuff. And there's other people out there who will use you to get their own way, who will put you in a place 
so that they look better. They will be friends with you just so they can borrow your bike. They'll be friends with you just so they can have your things. They'll be friends with you just as long as it's good for them. But as soon as something happens to you, they'll run away because it doesn't look good for them. And it's a fair weather friend and it's sad because we see it so often that man, even in the church, people in ministry will use others to benefit their ministry and they're not really there for them. And that's not the way we should be. We should love each other and we should use our earthly riches to buy other people into heaven, right? If I can spend my 20 bucks to go to McDonald's with my boys and it gives them a memory to know that their dad loves them, then that's way, worth way more to me than that $20, right? That's the same thing, right? Like instead of saying, well, um, kids, I want to make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich today because I'd rather have that $20, right? That's that's the heart. I, I would think for the most part, and you could probably use that against me. Hey, dad. Do you love $20 more or do you love me more, <laughs> right? But then, there you go, you're using me to get things, right? But <laughs> that would be a good one. That would be a good one to pull it over. So be, with that, just be careful in life, again, who we're friends with, who we trust. And not that we can't be friends with those people, but we need to be wary and trust people that really are worth trusting. The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. And sometimes you watch the news about people who get out of jail. It's, you know it's just because they're rich. You know it's just because they paid a fancy lawyer who lied his way through the court. And you see a poor person go to jail and they did nothing wrong. Sometimes a poor, you know, you try and rebuke a homeless person. It doesn't work. They just, they can't hear it. They're so lost and they need help in other ways but the light of the righteous rejoices but the lamp of the wicked will be put out you know in us is the light of god that he says the eyes are the window to the soul or lamp to the soul right that the things we look at right the things that we allow in will illuminate our soul and we need to have the right light the world is convinced it's got the right answers it's been enlightened enlightened is a word you'll hear as you grow up as you go through life, but they're not enlightened. <laughs> they keep get, the, Jesus said, if the light you have is darkness, how deep that darkness will be. And the world keeps getting darker and darker because they keep thinking that the new darkness they found is really light. Mm-hmm. Only by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. That man, contention is like fighting. And a lot of times fighting, like James says, comes from desires to win it over on each other. You know, Solomon, talking about in Ecclesiastes, he says, the only reason why people do things bigger and better is to make themselves look better than someone else, is to be better than anybody else. The only reason why this car company makes a better car is because they want to be better than the other people. It has nothing to do with doing the right thing. Um, And so pride causes those fights. If we find ourselves fighting with people a lot, yeah, it could be their fault, but it also could be ours. There's probably pride involved. And so we should check ourselves, say, am I just being prideful? Can I not just be wrong? Back to that guy who says he's, uh, where is it? Oh, it makes himself poor. He has great riches. Maybe you make yourself poor in the argument. You allow yourself to lose the argument, even though you're absolutely right. 
so that you have the great rich of staying righteousness. You have the great rich of being peace, of having peace, as opposed to trying to win everything. And with the well-advised is wisdom. That, that means you've, you've sought out a lot of counsel. You've asked for the right answer. You've asked for help from people you can trust. Well, you've got wisdom. You may not be wise, but you've got wisdom on your side. And wealth gained by vanity will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will be increased. We see this. People who win the lottery, most of them lose it all or give it all away because they don't know how to handle it. You get riches. If you gave me a million dollars right now, I'd be real hard-pressed. Okay, well, I'd buy a car. I'd probably buy a better house. And then I might buy braces and glasses and put some money away for you kids. And then I might go buy a speedboat. And then well, I bought a speedboat, well, maybe I'll get my race car now. Uh, and then, so then it's all of a sudden I spent all this wise money, but then I burned the rest on, on foolish things, right? Oh, I could buy all those Legos I ever wanted. <laughs> you know, so that's what happens. But you work hard, you gather by labor, you'll have increase. You work hard, you find the value of your money, you'll hopefully spend it more wisely if you're wise. And you'll increase. And then you'll own it. And the bank can't take it away because you own it. And that's part of why we're trying to buy the car outright is because I never want a chance for the bank to take it away because it's mine. And, he, uh, and, and it's vanity, right? You know, you lie, you cheat, you steal, you gamble, you'll lose it. There's a saying, there's a worldly saying about, I think it is about as fast as, you've, as, fast as you gained it is as fast as you'll lose it. And like Pa, uh, you know, Pa, uh, he's a, Nana says he's a saver. He is. He saves his money. He's good at saving money. When they moved to Florida, he had a bunch of money saved. And he likes to just put it under his mattress. There might be a better way to invest it, but hey, I don't have money under my mattress, so he's doing something better than me. But it's wise to be a saver. And I think of you, Jake, always saving, new kids saving. It's wise to, to save it. And then when you look at something, you're like, oh, I really want this. But then you think about how, your savings account will be diminished by you buying it. You go, nah, let me wait until I have five more dollars. <laughs> then I'll get it. That's pretty wise. But the end of your life, if you have a bank account full of money and never did anything with it, that's not wise either. So give it to me. All of me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's life, right? We should want to be wise and store up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thief cannot steal, right? And destroy that. We want to put our valuables where they belong. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. And, and nothing's worse than hoping for something. And then it gets put off. Uh, you know, let's say Mima and Nana are coming, and we're looking forward to it, but then for some reason they have to cancel. It's going to make our hearts sick. It's going to make us sad. Oh, another. You think about Jacob in the Bible. Right? He married Leah, right? And Rachel, yeah. So he was hoping for all those seven years to marry Rachel. And he wakes up and it's Leah. <sighs> Made his heart sick, I bet. And he had to work seven more years to get Rachel. There are things that we, if your heart's sick, a lot of times it's because your, your hope got destroyed. Your hope got put off. And that's why when that happens, we really kind of have to gauge where our hope is. And when we get over, it's okay to be disappointed. But when you get overwhelmingly disappointed in something in life, sometimes that's God allowing you to say, to show you, 
excuse me, that you had your hope in the wrong thing. When someone lets you down and it's so devastating, well, people are going to let you down. People close to you are going to hurt you, guaranteed. But is your hope in them or is your hope in God? Because God will never let you down. And that's every time that happens to me, I try and say, okay, Lord, you're right. I'm going to put my hope in you as my father or my friend or whatever, my employer or whatever it is to make him my trust. But when the desire comes as a tree of life, is it not wonderful when the thing you're hoping for comes to pass? We've been hoping for a vacation. We've been trying for it. Then we finally get to go on and it happens and it's fun and we go on roller coasters and we have good food and it's a tree of life. And I think of Christmas as a tree of life. Maybe we could think of this verse next Christmas. That when the hope of our Savior came, it was like a tree of everlasting life. Whoever despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Man, you despise a word, you despise the right answer, it's going to destroy you. But if you fear a commandment, you'll be rewarded. If you fear the commandment of your dad, saying clean your room or you're going to be in here all day cleaning, and you do it, there's going to be a reward. You're going to be out playing. You're going to be doing something fun. But if you despise that word, you despise the right thing to do, you're going to be in trouble. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. That should be the, the ultimate goal of any teaching in life. You could boil it down to departing the snares of death. Right? We teach you how to drive. Yeah, so it's good. But also that you don't fall, don't drive bad uh, and get in an accident. But more importantly, the teaching of the Bible, whenever we hear the Bible, it should teach us to depart from death. That when we come to the Word, it should help us get away from the things that are evil. It should help us pursue the things that are good. And it should be like a fountain of life to us. We should walk away refreshed. Maybe we walk away a little downcast because we've been sinning or troubled because we realize how bad things are, but that there's still a fountain of life there. And we go, oh, that was refreshing. Because that's what Jesus said. He said that um, he, was a, he had living water, that they would never thirst again. And so if, when we come to God's word, are we refreshed by it? And I say, if we're not being refreshed by it, maybe we're not drinking from it. Maybe we're not receiving it. Maybe we're not listening. Maybe we're not hearing what God is saying to us. If we walk away, uh, or maybe it's just the pastor's bad. And the pastor's not communicating what the word of God should be. And that's why we need to be in and, our, in and of ourselves as well. Good understanding gives favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. And I, I can tell you, when someone understands my feedback at work, it's great. It, there's much favor there. When I when I understand someone else's feedback and I do what's right, I get favor at work because I'm doing what's right. I'm understanding. I'm not fighting. I'm, you know, doing the right thing. But man, when someone fights, it's like what Jesus said to Paul: It's hard for you to kick against the goes right. When we fight against what's right, we fight against what we're supposed to do. We just make it hard for ourselves. We make it harder for ourselves if we don't do what we're supposed to do. Why is my life so hard? 
everybody's out to get me. Well, maybe they are, but maybe you're doing the wrong thing too. Maybe your life wouldn't be as hard if you just did the right thing. I found my life was a lot harder when I didn't do the right thing. Life is hard enough as it is when you do the right thing. Why would you want to make it harder for yourself? Don't make it harder for yourself. That's foolish. Every prudent man deals with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. That man, we want... We should learn. We should learn. We should want to learn. We should want to be about the things of wisdom, about the things of of getting better and knowing better. Because when a fool does something, it's a, it's obvious that that's all they're about is foolishness. A wicked messenger falls into mischief, but the faithful envoy is health. And then once when we could tell someone something and they take care of it. It's good for us. In the old days, they used to send things by like Pony Express. You send a letter, you put a guy on a horse, he'd run. He'd find the next guy with the horse, they'd run. And the next guy with the horse, they'd run and they'd run. You'd want to make sure if you had to deliver a letter in the old days, you'd have to trust that they delivered it. You know, in fact, where we get the, the term marathon is that this guy ran to tell him that an army was invading and he ran 26.2 miles. They had people who were professional runners. Hmm? And then he died, yeah. So that's why I don't run, because... <laughs> just kidding. Um, you want to be able to trust the messenger, right? We want to be able to trust the people that are the messengers of God in our life. We want to be able to trust the people, like... You know, you play the telephone game, right? Where you're speaking to someone else's ear, and they're speaking to someone else's ear. And by the end, it's, it's wrong, or it's funny. It's way off. We want to make sure that when we share something important, it gets to the right place. You know, with organ transplants, you want to make sure if you're sending a heart to another hospital that it gets there, uh, how much more so with the things uh, that pertain to eternal life. A faithful envoy's health. We want to be a faithful messenger of God, right? Poverty and shame will be to him who refuses instruction, but he who regards reproof will be honored. You want to be poor? You want to be full of shame? Ignore the instructions. You want to have honor in life? Well, regard correction. Hang on to it. We'll read one or two more here. It says, The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but is an abomination of fools to depart from evil. I tell you, when I get a car fixed, it's sweet to my soul. That the desire, yes, ah, it feels good. When I have a lot of things to do and I get them done, it feels so good. But like yesterday, I kept getting distracted by other things. And I was like, oh, I, everything I just want to get done today, I haven't even started on. It's the afternoon. And so it felt a little better to get done what I wanted, to, some of what I wanted to get done. But there's still part of me that was like, oh, I, I didn't get to do everything I wanted to do. But when we have a goal, a task like that, it, it's, it's sweet to get things done. But for fools, it's an abomination apart from evil. That The Bible says that there are a few things that are an abomination. It's like the worst, the worst sin. And for a fool to stop doing it, that's an abomination to them. Oh, no way, that's impossible. I'm not going to stop doing this. It's who I am. It's why I as well. <laughs> if you look at the world, that's the way they act. That they're committing abominations, but for them to stop committing those abominations, for you to even mention that what they're doing is an abomination... They think that's the abomination. It's just a proof that they're a fool. 
And I'll read one more. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. That's important who we hang around with. It's important who our friends are. It's important who the people that we trust are. Uh, what is it? Uh, a li- Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You put a little bit of yeast in a piece of bread, the whole thing will get puffed up. You put a little bit of sin in your life, your whole life will get puffed up with sin. You hang out with, it says bad morals corrupt good company. You hang out with, all, four of you could be great friends, and then one you allow one bad friend in with you. Well, they're probably all of you are going to get in trouble if you hang around. You're going to do things you weren't supposed to do. You're going to act the way you normally wouldn't act because of that bad influence. And I tell you that a bad influence sometimes is more directly strong than a good influence. People more easily listen to a bad influence than they will to a good influence. And it's no surprise that the people that are promoted by the government, the people that are promoted by television stations and commercials, are worse and worse people because we tend to listen to the bad influence more than we do to the good influence. And why? That's because we're sinners. Because our hearts are sinful. Because it's a it's a it's an uphill battle. It's a narrow path to go the right way, but it's a wide path that leads to hell. So you want to be wise? Walk with wise people. You want to be destroyed? Well then keep hanging around with fools. So God, we love you. We do want to be wise, and that's why we want to hang out with you. God, we pray you'd help us to be the good influence. You'd help us to to get rid of bad influences in our life, whether it's things we watch, things we say, uh, friends in our lives that maybe we just can't be that close with anymore. God, help us to do the right thing and to give them an opportunity to come to know you and not just destroy them, but to put relationships in the right place in life and realize that this relationship is a ministry. Uh, This relationship is a help to me. Or this relationship is something that I can't be around at all. So God, make us wise by your spirit. Let us be corrected and instructed in all righteousness by your word. We love you, God. Come soon, we pray. Bless your people and may your word go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. Troubles left behind the door We drink first light until